Hello, and welcome to Collaborative Alchemy. My name is Sarah Greenman, and I'm a creative alchemist, artist, storyteller, writer, and facilitator. I believe that your creativity is a gift meant to be wielded with great love and joy. It is a bone-deep tool for justice, healing, and revelatory collective liberation. Collaborative Alchemy is a series of conversations with artists, thought leaders, activists, farmers, educators, creatives, and other polymaths, where we tell our stories, expand our histories, and hold space for new ways of being. My guest today is Anya Hankin, a facilitator, leadership mentor, and creative catalyst. She's also the founder of Anya Hankin Collaborative, where her mission is to help others actualize their big, purpose-driven life work. Anya's commitment to justice and to living and working with purpose is evident in everything that she does. She's been leading and guiding groups for the last 20 plus years and has designed and delivered original workshops, retreats, and courses for nonprofit organizations, colleges and universities, high school students across the country, creative entrepreneurs, and diverse communities of changemakers. With a background in educational pedagogy and conflict resolution, Anya is a gifted facilitator and mediator, and I'm so excited to have her here today. Thank you so much for having me here. This is so exciting. (laughs) (laughs) It's so exciting for me because you are an integral part of my creation of the Creative Alchemy Cycle. I sort of built it on your watch. And working within the framework that you provide as a facilitator uh, with your catalyst cohort work. So, I mean, I have lots of ideas about what I think you do, but I would love to hear from you. What do you think you do? (laughs) It really depends on the day, I would say. (laughs) It depends on who's asking. Um, How I like to talk about my work is that I am a facilitator and a leadership mentor and a creative catalyst. And Mm -hmm. so a big part of what that means is helping creative people usher their ideas into being. So finding from the universe, from the heart space, from the soul space, really that deeper craving, that purpose work and bringing it from the kind of esoteric overwhelming into tangible action that you can share and really live into. So um, that that looks a number of different ways, but that's a little a little nugget of oh, so work. juicy, <laughs> so good. <laughs> well. Talk to me then about your inception story as a creative and a facilitator, because I think what you do is so unique to you. And it sounds like you'd have to kind of build your own genre of working uh, in terms of the in terms of what you provide other creatives. So I would love I would love to hear about how you got here. I recall you sharing a really lovely story once about your first forays into the theater as being sort of like a gateway drug to creativity, but I would love Mm. to hear um, your inception story. Well, I'm happy to talk about that, the theater piece, which really was in so many ways. And I feel like there are so many different kind of threads that wove together to lead into what I am doing now. the key inception pieces really are, are around education 
around my learning experiences and around theater. So when I was a young person, I had, uh, I was both very, very um, performative and playful <laughs> and would like write rhyming plays that we would produce in our kid way. And I was kind of a ham, but only with my family and my community. And then when I would be in public spaces in school with bigger groups of people that I didn't know, I was really desperately shy. And theater ended up being this space where I felt like I was able to really bring my performative space, my performative self, and the tools that I kind of cultivated in my shyness, deep listening, um, observation, really being curious about other people. And I could translate that in mm -hmm. my theater work. And in high school, I was invited to be part of this theater company that used our personal experiences and translated them onto the stage. And that was extremely pivotal for me. I was in wow. that group from 16 to 18. And we were writing and telling stories about the messy transition time of being a teenager, yes. relationships, body, um, family, all of the things. And take something that felt so vulnerable and so personal and speak it, perform it on a stage in front of hundreds was truly catalytic for me. And it was like the deepest kind of witnessing. Mm. Uh, and it was really empowering and emboldening for me and impacted the rest of my life, really. I feel like I've used elements of that experience throughout all that I do. I love that you bring up this idea of being witnessed or witnessing as part of the catalytic medicine or juice that really spoke to you. And I, I know that you do that in your work now. Can you speak a little bit more about that aspect of your human experience of witnessing? Mm. Like, what does that mean to you to witness or to be witnessed? I love that question. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I so often talk about really my work being rooted in the sense of we all deserve to be seen, to be heard, to be celebrated. And for me, that is being witnessed. Mm -hmm. And I think so much of it is knowing that we get to be our flawed, real human selves and be seen in that. Hmm. And to have that resonance of, you know, my story touches something in your story. My experience touches something in your experience. And I think that is really the heart of that witnessing and there's something so healing in recognizing that we're not alone in it. Oh, that's so huge. It's such a big part of my work as well as a as a creative, as a storyteller. That kind of compassionate witnessing has the capacity to solve some really big societal problems that we're facing right now as a as a community, as a society. And I just, I love, I love that idea. Thank you for framing that so beautifully. <laughs> I just want to like drink that in. 
Well, and and what you're saying, I feel like so much of our stuck spots, our hurt spots are in that feeling of not being heard, not being understood, not being appreciated. And the witnessing has the capacity to really offer a remedy to that. I think there are ways we can witness ourselves, ourselves. And I think that's important. And it's so valuable to have an external witnessing like the reciprocity of that exchange feels really important to me Mm, you've just brought up something i wanted to talk about which is reciprocity you center that in your work as a facilitator you have that all over your website like it's in your (laughs) guiding principles and i would love to hear more about reciprocity and where that lands in your work Mm mm-hmm Can I tell you a little inception about reciprocity for me? I would love to hear it. (laughs) So when I was in graduate school, I worked with a department that was all about creating learning experiences for students that were out in the community, Mm -hmm. community and university partnerships. And I was invited to be part of this research project that looked at reciprocity in these relationships. And that was kind of a new concept to me, a new term. And it was really looking at the mutuality of the exchange. We say that this thing is good. We say it's to your benefit, but is it? So are we really valuing kind of equally collectively what the priorities are here. So is the university just kind of going out into the community and saying, we're doing this because you you want it and it's to your benefit? Or are we really asking, is this going to help? Is this what you want? Right. How can we be of service? That's the key question. Is this what you want? Yes. Yes. <laughs> we forget so to ask that sometimes. <laughs> we absolutely do. We say, this is what you need. This is what you need. And that's what was happening. Mm. And so I got to be involved in these conversations with so many community organizations, with so many educators who were attempting to work in relationship. And it was exploring how those relationships could be more mutually beneficial. And I think about reciprocity in my work as really being about a collective experience, a co-created experience, that it is not just me coming in as a leader, as a facilitator saying, this is what you need, this is how to do it, but it's really asking, is this what you need? What do you need? How can we do it together? It also, to me, speaks to this element of a counter to burnout, Mm. I think is inherent in the reciprocity. Am I just giving, 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 giving? Or is there a way that I am also refilling? So many of the people that I work with are people that are committed to being of service in a variety of ways. Teachers, healers, facilitators, guides who want to give and end up often feeling really overextended, burnt out, drained, because there isn't that reciprocity. There isn't that process of refilling. And right now, entering the second year of our pandemic, Mm. when I think about people who are the helpers, who are the givers, who are here in service, there are so many ways in which we are depleting that 
cultural resource without giving back to the people who are showing up for us. I'm really interested in all of the ways in which we can show up in right relationship together. Mm -hmm. And I love that reciprocity is at the center of, of what you do. I feel that as somebody who's worked with you really deep, mm. I feel really nourished giving and receiving mm. <laughs> being in relationship with you in that way. Thank um, you, Sarah. Oh my gosh. It's just so palpable. So palpable. Why, why are you called to do this work of guiding? <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a huge, maybe this is why I'm, I'm having a hard time pulling this question together because the way I experience you is that you do meet the need, the actual need, because you have asked the question, what do you need? Then you do uh, what you do best, which is kind of magic to me, which is shape shift a little bit to meet the need of your client. And so I, I wonder why you're called to do this work of guiding thought leaders and creatives and facilitators towards actualizing their big ideas. I'm sure you have a bunch of your own big ideas, but you seem really committed to um, launching other people's big ideas. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's core to my big idea, right? <laughs> like my, <laughs> my big idea is rooted in supporting other people to grow and share their, their work, their purpose-driven work. The why, the why, hmm. <laughs> it's so clear and it's so complex, right? Like, <laughs> yes, always. I think it, it definitely goes back to what we touched on, this sense that we all deserve to be seen, to be heard, to be recognized. And I think one of the best ways for us to really feel that truly is when we feel in right relationship, aligned, alive, connected to how we are moving through our days. And for so many of us, that is in our big work, our big offerings. Yeah. And the way that we are of service to the world. And you know that we talk so much in the Catalyst Leadership Immersion about what is calling us up and how can we really meet that need? What is the unique remedy that we have mm -hmm. to attend to, to the needs? And for me, that is my why. That is my remedy is that I have a desire and an ability to really connect with people and to wade through the overwhelm and the stuck spots and to find that gem that is like often so clear but gets buried underneath the layers and when we find it so often it's like oh yeah of course <laughs> It's right here. It's right here and it's been here. And this is core to how I move through the world, but I never saw it because it's so inherent. And to me, there is just like such joy and pleasure and deep satisfaction in getting to be part of that process with people yeah. alongside people. And I think for so long in my in my work, in my teen years and early adulthood, I felt like to have an impact, I needed to reach broad population. Get big. Yeah. Get big, get big. And when I 
you know, really checked in with myself and recognized my own kind of sense of burnout in the nonprofit grind that I was in for many years, I realized that that's not how I thrive. That's not where, you know, my sweet spot and getting to connect really deeply, really fully with small groups of people one-on-one and then knowing that you all will go out into your communities and do your work and then those people will go out into their communities and do their work. I feel like that ripple Uh, gave me so much freedom and space in my work to recognize that it doesn't always have to be vast. It can be deep. That's big Uh, for me. I love the ripple metaphor, the ripple analogy, you know, this for the vernal equinox, our theme is we are water. And I love the idea that what we do ripples out from us in all directions and touches people we know not. Yes. So for creatives who want to share their work with an audience, I hear you saying, don't worry about the big, big, but, and focus on your why, but where is the single most important place to start for somebody who has a big idea that they want to share with an audience? Mm. I mean, I think it really is so much about the why and getting clear about the why for themselves. And I think we usually focus on the what and the how Mm -hmm. rather than the why. So a lot of those pieces can already sort of be in place, but really rooting into the why and using that as our compass is transformative. I felt that as soon as I started working with you and you helped me articulate my why in a in a more focused and pointed way, I noticed so many other things start happening for me in other parts of my work and it informed everything I was doing, even my parenting and even my like private relationships. Yes. It is transformative. Those know? are the ripples. Yeah, no too. that's totally the ripples within your own life. Like that's me affecting me. <laughs> Yes. The other piece that strikes me about really rooting into why, into the why and having clarity around that and checking in with that as a practice is that then it also leaves room to pay attention to the what and to not necessarily need to control or prescribe it. And I think for creatives, especially starting out, getting to kind of be open to how things emerge and unfold can be so, so powerful. Like what is really feeling aligned for you and what is really resonating with your community and it allows you to be surprised. It also allows you to slow the process down. I think we get into such murky water with our what and our how in terms of how things like sexism, patriarchy, white supremacy start making their way into our patterns and behaviors and systems and structures. And if we're super clear about our why and we're slowing down how we create our what and our how, we have a a much better chance of, of creating something that has lasting benefit for a community as opposed to something that perpetuates an old habit energy or Mm. behavior. Mm -hmm. I find that process to be really aligned with social justice work. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. 
talk to me about the justice lens work you do. That was one of the first things I read in the packet about your um, catalyst immersion program, the leadership immersion program. And you spoke about creating a justice lens. Yeah. So my work is really rooted in these core frameworks, justice, reciprocity, engagement, and creativity. And for me, that informs how I do my work. It informs what the work is. It speaks to the why of the work. And for me, justice is absolutely key. It's absolutely foundational, especially for something that is taking up so much of our time, right? These big offerings or our businesses, our work in the world, to have that grounded and rooted an awareness of justice to me feels vital. Yeah. And I think so often it can kind of go unnoticed or untended to. And the work that we do in the Catalyst cohort around the justice lens is really creating this space that is explicit, embedded, embodied, and evolving. So justice that is not just theoretical, that is really palpable in practice, that is woven into the systems and the structures that we're creating for our work in the world and for, you know, as leaders, the way that we are showing up in leadership, the way that we are engaging in community, the way that we are using our money, using our resources, citing sources, centering people, you know, it's like everything is just imbued with this justice lens. And I feel like if we don't take the time to really build that intentionally, thoughtfully, we're then having impacts in ways that we might not want to be. Right, that we don't even realize. Yeah, That we don't even realize we are. You spoke earlier about burnout for a minute. I, I want to come back to that because I find that so many creatives, especially ones who are working in sort of solo entrepreneurial ways, um, burn out real fast. And I want to know about the ways in which you nourish yourself to be ready for this work. Like what, what fills your tank? Mm -hmm. Big question. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Big practice. I think I could speak to that from many angles. For me, getting to do work that really is my soul work is my, you know, right relationship aligned work helps to counter a sense of burnout. It really does. It doesn't mean that every day is perfect and easy. Definitely not. Um, (laughs) But to really be rooted in that sense of deep gratitude and appreciation and happiness in the work, Mm -hmm. that is so helpful. For me, I feel really lucky in that my work has a pretty immediate feedback loop in that I get to work directly with people and see the impact of the frameworks that I teach and offer, the tools that I teach and offer, like there, I see, I see the catalyzing happen in real time. And so that is so juicy and good and feeds me very much. Um, I will say this year in pandemic times has been 
really hard. It's been beautiful and joyful and also really hard. And in the last winter months, I've definitely noticed a sense of pandemic fatigue, personal grief, and really just recognized that I was at a point where my tank was running low, my well was running dry. I had to be really honest with myself and pause. So that sort of was like a big, a big act of trust and self-listening. And then on a daily practice of countering burnout, all of my practices of creative resilience are really helpful in that regard. So meditating when I am able, moving my body outside, taking a walk every day, even when it's raining. I don't do that every day, but (laughs) I aim to. (laughs) Writing, journaling, making making art, making snail mail love notes and sending them around the country, getting to also be really honest in my work and giving myself space to show up imperfectly. That maybe is the biggest act to counter burnout is getting to say like, hey, I'm struggling or today I feel sad or I'm holding this spectrum of emotions or I'm celebrating and delighted, but getting to just show up in the fullness of who I am and again, be witnessed in that, um, but really allowing myself to be seen. You're speaking to to creativity as a form of self-care, which I I love. Creativity so often is hooked up to my, my work and how I make money. <laughs> yes. And I think it can be complex when we also make money doing the things that we love that feed us, right? Yeah. And so having some space to at least acknowledge that or, you know, this is just for me. This is just a refilling. This is mm-hmm. just my creativity. Yep. That's why I love a journal practice and a sketchbook practice because it's super private. Nobody ever sees it. It's just for you. Yeah. What do you consider your most important creative relationship? Ooh. <laughs> I always want to know about like, who are the people you're co-creating with that really mm-hmm. are your most important creative relationships? I love it. Yeah, I would definitely say nature is a co-creator with me in my creativity. Being out in nature, walking in nature, experiencing the change in seasons and cycles and allowing myself to to really tune into that and respond creatively to that. So having sort of like abundant and fallow periods in my creative output. Um, Thinking about humans and that relationship, I would absolutely say my clients, my catalysts, the people that I get to work with in a really deep, intimate way, getting to kind of doula their creative work into the world feels like it also is really is my it fuels my creativity mm-hmm. I get to be really creative in that space and I feel like when I am in mentorship conversations one-on-one or in a facilitated environment 
there is something that happens for me where I feel like I am a conduit. Like I just, it is like a channel that opens up and it's me, but it's also the muse. It is, you know, the intuition, deeper wisdom, and really like the alchemy of the exchange. Mm -hmm. So I, I am in creative relationship with that. But for me, facilitation is a creative act. Mm. And leadership is a creative act. And I think also being business owners is a creative act. See, that's something that I'm just learning and from you and from the people that I'm working with elsewhere. I, I, I'd never thought of my business as part of the creative process. And now it is, how could I have not seen it? Like it's so clearly connected. I've never, ever been able to um, marry those things together until now. I think there's this part of us as humans, especially in a capitalistic sort of American society as it exists right now, that really separates like business and um, creativity and thinking outside the box. They're like, no, conform, conform, conform. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's, you know, business. Even the word feels very conforming. <laughs> but now I really feel like it's married together, which is why I think I'm thriving in the way that I am now. So it, yeah. you know. <laughs> yes, yes, you're finding your way. And it, yeah, I feel like it is that blend. Like we need the structure pieces and we need the creativity piece. Yeah. There's no prescribed formula, right? Mm -hmm. There's no A to Z. It is about being in relationship and paying attention and creating something together. So mm -hmm. I think it's inherently a creative act. What have we all thought about our own personal relationships as a creative endeavor? Yes. What the, how would that change our relationships to each other? to our kids, to our partners and our community, I think it would A, make it way more fun. <laughs> yes. And we think it is. And B, I think it would just create um, a whole new way of, of being in the world together. I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. I think it gives us so much more freedom also to explore and evolve and feel supported in it too. We'll talk about being able to step outside of uh, prescribed roles and um, prescribed spaces. If you can get really creative about who you are and what service you know you're providing and how you show up for other people, you really truly can be anything. Yeah, I think about that a lot as I homeschool our child uh, Walker, constantly thinking about what messages I'm giving them about how they can and should show up as opposed to allowing their inherent creativity to sort of build the world anew as they greet new information, make new choices. It's interesting because that is one of, that's one of my other primary inception experiences and stories yeah. is around education. And as a high school student, recognizing that there were other ways of being quote educated and learning and like what education is valued what kind of learning is valued who are the teachers that we're looking to and so I got so excited about unschooling and homeschooling and like student-led learning and it was mind-blowing for me like oh I'm 15 but I am also a teacher and 
my creative longings and whims of what I want to learn about, even if it's not on the syllabus, that doesn't mean that it's not worthy. It was, it was radical for me. I love the idea that you just brought up of following your creative longing. I mean, this idea of longing for something. I know John O'Donohue talks about it as like an urgent calling. Mm. What do you long for? Mm. Truly, like in our world and in your life, what do you long for? I long for a space for us to recognize and name the grief that we feel and not feel like we have to push it down and numb out, especially around just the immense COVID loss of life, but also all the other things that we've lost this year. I long for community. I long for um, my hands in the dirt and planting planting things and watching them grow. I, I long for the sweet connection with beloveds. I, I really long for shared meals and just like a bunch of people around a table yeah. reaching in for food and laughing and like elbows touching and glasses clanking I long for that, like with a fierceness. It's, you know, as somebody whose work and life is so rooted in in gathering, in-person gathering, I long for that. Oh, that breaking of bread together. Someday. Makes someday. you want to just weep. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. The work you do is so deeply connected for me in belonging. What does belonging mean to you? Where does that land in your life? It's interesting. I I grew up in very active community. I grew up on a piece of land with many other families, many other kids who I grew up alongside. And when we moved away from that space, that physical space, those relationships still were very strong and very significant in my growing up and into my everyday. I have had such a beautiful, I think sometimes rare in this culture, experience of community. And that is where I feel a lived sense of belonging. And for me, that is that comes back to witnessing and to being witnessed and to knowing that there is sort of an element of unconditional regard. That doesn't mean we always like each other. <laughs> it doesn't mean there's not conflict or challenge. There is absolutely. But to feel so known, to feel so known and for me to have such a, a experience of that over my lifetime. Amazing. Uh, that is amazing. And I, I do sort of take it for granted because it's so inherent in my experience of my life, but I also really recognize the potency of that. And I see that I am often in my work now wanting to return to, to cultivate that kind of space for and with other people. So how do we in our work 
create that sense of belonging where we all know that we're seen and appreciated and valued and supported and encouraged and then we can go out and create that in our in our communities in our relationships and in our work what are you looking forward to for the spring mm. do you have a garden yes. like do you garden i don't have a garden where i live okay yeah which is part of the longing <laughs> <laughs> I just want some dirt I can dig in. Um, <laughs> I just, I'm so excited for the simple, profound fact of spring. That spring is coming, that I can feel it coming. Today, the sky is brilliantly blue and the buds are just bursting. And I walk down the street and I smell the Daphne and I, I am filled with hope. Spring to me is this sense of possibility and I feel it in my body. It's like all of these ideas that have been percolating and really kind of the like releasing of, of what I've carried through the winter. Like, oh, shed it, shake it off, dance, have a dance party. Um, and I feel that too just in where we're at societally, I know there is still a long way to go, but many of the people that I know are getting vaccinated and I feel I feel hopeful with our new president. Mm -hmm. And there's just this like, there is a sense of possibility that is emerging. And I associate that with spring. I can feel it just like burgeoning underneath my feet out here. I know we're still snow covered here in Eastern Oregon, but all of the creeks are beginning to bloom <laughs> and get a little bit bigger. And there's a tiny bit of snow melt happening and there's water in my basement. So I know, I know it's happening. <laughs> oh, it's happening. <laughs> I think there's something interesting too about being in a space where things are thawing because that's sort of happening to me too. Mm. <laughs> it's nice to have it reflected in a, in a sort of natural aspect. Um, it makes it feel normal. It normalizes, as you say, the ebb and flow, the creative ebb and flow. How do you ritualize the hope of spring? Mm. Well, I quite literally bring it in to my house. <laughs> Um, gathering flowers and leaves and rocks and natural elements and bringing them in and often really in a ritual practice, arranging them. Yeah. So creating beauty with beauty and breathing that in. I think the kind of rhythm of my days really shift with the spring too, just feeling the expanding light and using my energy in different ways. And I find that it really infuses the facilitation work that I do as well. The prompts that I am offering, the practices that I'm sharing that feels really informed by nature, by the season. I find that the ritual elements you bring to your facilitations, they make everything feel special. I think that's important. I think it's important for us to make our lives feel special because they are. <laughs> they are. 
And I feel like ritual is such a creative act and can be so simple, but taking that time to cultivate intentionality and bring in beauty, bring in reflection, whatever it is for you is so necessary and can be so helpful and so transformative. It's really about marking these moments. And I, I love that. I love that. Anya, thank you so much for being with me today. Your words fill me up. Your work fills me up. Who you are and how you do what you do fills me up. Thank you Mm. so much. Thank you, Sarah, so much. Thank you all for listening. The Collaborative Alchemy podcast is made possible with micro donations from my community through patreon.com. And you can find me, Sarah Greenman, at patreon.com backslash Sarah Greenman or sarahgreenman.com. Have a beautiful day.